Dragons trying to eat babies, monsters killed and resurrected, and the number 666. All your questions about Revelation answered today. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, and comment. All right, let's jump in. We got so let's. We've covered a lot so far. So if you if you're just jumping in the middle because you want to get all the juicy stuff, that's good. But everything we've covered so far helps to set up for this. So yep. um, now we've talked about this a little bit, but. Are the things in Revelation laid out in a nice, neat, sequential pattern or order? Um, I, there's, I think there's problems with that view. As we, as we pointed out, there's things that are recapitulated right. that occur again and again. So like one at one point it'll say all the green grass was burned up, and then the next section is like the green grass was burned up. So it, how many times is the poor grass being burnt? The grass stars grows falling, not fast. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> stars falling, heaven being torn open multiple times. Right. So it seems like what we're having is the judgments at the end being repeated in several from different vantage points. Yeah. So it's not just an order of things. It's right. This repetition, and there's clearly lots of visionary language that points to a greater reality. So chapter twelve will be a great example of that. Mm-hmm. It it clearly indicates Jesus being born, mm-hmm. and and that happened all before the book was written right. you know so why is it talking about that well it's speaking about in some sections the history of god's people mm-hmm. as a whole so it's not exactly a linear story and biblical prophecy can be like that it can be very complex and in fact look at the the parallels between the bowls and the trumpets so the trumpets are where we're at right now these seven trumpets and they'll lead to and with the seven trumpet it'll lead to seven bowls being poured out on the earth god's mm-hmm. wrath but the first trumpet and bowl both affect the earth. The second ones both affect the sea. Yeah, so there's magic third, patterns. Yeah, third of both refer to a river. The fourth refers to a sun in both. Fifth trumpet speak to the abyss and the throne of the beast. The sixth trumpet and bowl speak of the Euphrates River. Mm-hmm. And then the seventh of both refer to the second coming of Christ. So it seems like it's this kind of you know different vantage points on the same probably future events mm-hmm. is the idea. Now, there are different ways to interpret Revelation, which we haven't fully uh, laid out, so right. hopefully this will be helpful for you as well. So there's there's different views that say, okay, well, this has either already happened or it was it's just kind of about the scope of church history or it's all future. Right. So I think it's important to lay these out. So the preterist view, that's a term you may, may hear, but that, that view believes that what was written in this book is a prophecy of the future, but that these things happened, a lot of them happened, by 70 AD. Hmm. So not the second coming of Christ, of course. Oh, well, some full preterists, I think, would Crazy. say that. But most usually it's partial preterists. So this view, um, get, again, it makes sense because the book is always speaking of things being soon or near. But again, it probably proves too much mm-hmm. because Jesus says, I'm coming soon. So a full preterist is like, well, then Jesus already came. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't believe that. The historicist view is different from the preterist view. So the historicist just says Revelation is tracing the events of history from Jesus to his second coming. So it's just kind of a the entirety of church history. Right. And that God's people are persecuted and go through a lot of stuff. The futurist view is different from the historicist view because it says that Revelation speaks of future events. Typically chapter four on is all future. Mm-hmm. 
So that's that's a common view, probably the most common view right now. The idealist view says it's not referring to historical events at all. It's just referring to symbols, mm-hmm. um, but not about actual events in history. So right. it's all kind of symbolically interpreted. And then there's the iterist view, which kind of combines a lot of those views, and it it says these events have multiple reference in history. Mm-hmm. So you might say, oh, the Antichrist, that kind of sounds like Nero. That kind of sounds like... Hitler, that like kind Pharaoh of, or well, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. there's been there's been you know multiple times where these things have been shown. So, where do I land? A, a lot of people point out that none of these views seem to fully, you know, explain the book. I would say I kind of am, am primarily futurist. Mm-hmm. This is about future events, but there are elements of all of these in in the book, as we'll see today. That some of these things are speaking to things that have already happened, right? And to the scope of, of history. Awesome. So um, we're in the section. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 11. So we're in the section at the end of the seven trumpets. And then we're going to see in chapters 12 to 14, seven signs. Mm-hmm. And then chapters 15 to 16, seven bowls that are poured out. The Kind of the final wrath of God on the earth. Love it. So let's get in chapter 11. <clears throat> a lot of good things to discuss today. So we see these in chapter 11, we see these two witnesses that come, and there's a lot of symbolism around these witnesses. I believe these witnesses are a picture of the church, mm-hmm. the church of God. So they're called olive trees, they're called lampstands. So those that language connects to Zechariah 4. And it also I think connects to the churches of Revelations 2, Revelation 2 and 3, which were referred to as lampstands. Mm-hmm. So these the images here are of God's church, and of those seven churches, how many were faithful? Hmm. Well, two. Two were faithful. And so this is a picture of God's faithful church, hmm. and it's it's not just about two individual people, but it's about a collective, because we'll see the beast will make war on them. Yeah. So you, it's kind of hard to make a war on two people, so it seems to refer to a group. And when they these two die, they're referred to, their, it's, it says their bodies... But in Greek, it's their body. Hmm. It's a singular body for two people. Interesting, yeah. So it just kind of indicates that there's something very symbolic going on here. So they, what happens is they, they witness, and when they have finished their testimony, verse 7, they, um, they're killed, right? They're killed, and their bodies are laid out and exposed, and people come to see the victory that the that you know evil has had over um, over God's church, hmm. right? To see that they have been victorious, so they previously have a lot of power. Then they're killed, but then they are resurrected, and and, and people marvel at that that they are able to be resurrected. And so the the idea here is that the church throughout history has been persecuted to the point of extinction in many places, mm-hmm. but God always wins. He always pers- perseveres. He always gives grace to his people to come to life again mm. out of an impossible situation. And that's what's going to happen at the end, mm. is that God's people will seem to be defeated, but nothing can stop God's people from fulfilling their testimony to the world. Yeah, And that's what's going to happen. So, And we see even, I kind of skipped over this, but in you know verse 6, we see language that's similar to Elijah and his power. Mm-hmm. And so God's people have this power and nothing can stop their word from going forth. Mm. It's very encouraging. But look at verse 3, okay? This is important. And again, if you are if you're reading through the book, you're going to see these numbers and it, I think it are these phrases and I think it could be confusing. So, 
in verse two, we see that they're given, they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And then in verse three, there's a mention of 1260 days where the, t- the two witnesses are prophesying. So 42 months times 30 days per month is 1260 days. Mm-hmm. So I've been told. I've never actually done the math, but <laughs> sounds right. So you can check me on that. 42 months is also three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Three and a half years is also summarizing a phrase that's used over and over again. It comes from Daniel, right? Time, times, and half a time. It's weird language, I know. So time, one, times, two, and then half would be half. So three and a half. So and we see that because these are used interchangeably throughout Revelation. Mm-hmm. So this period of time, three and a half years, I believe it is a time frame of, well, there's a lot of different views on this, but it seems to be symbolically related to um, Israel's wandering in the desert. In Numbers 33, we see they had great suffering for 42 months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's related to Daniel's three and a half years mm-hmm. from the se- the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, mm-hmm. clearly. It's, it seems to be you know indicative of Elijah's persecution under Ahab and all of these different times of persecution and, tr- and trouble are applied sort of symbolically in Revelation. So this is the time that the church has to witness in these last days. That's what I believe it's referring to. But I definitely hold that loosely because I understand it's a lot of confusing stuff. But so that they're allowed to to witness, they're killed, they're brought back to life. So you'll see that 1260, three and a half years, 42 months. So just know that's kind of all referring to a similar idea or the same thing. In chapter 12, we have this image of God's story of salvation, his, his history of his people. And what we have is a woman in verse 1, and I would take this woman as the people of God. So look at verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. So symbolic, right? Yeah. Otherwise, that's a very uncomfortable yeah, article very, of clothing. Very, very melty. Very melty. Yeah. <laughs> with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Very heavy. Very mm-hmm. heavy. Yes. And Bernie as well. Yeah. Um, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So I would take this as a depiction of God's people. So this is not a literal person. Some people would, you know, Roman Catholics want to make this Mary. You know, Mary is like, you know, super important. This is referring in a symbolic way to God's story of salvation. So we have a woman who is the people of God. Then we have a dragon who is Satan. So this dragon appears and is attacking her, trying to come after her. Mm-hmm. And who is this dragon? Well, we see he, in verse 4, he took down a third of the stars of heaven. That probably refers to when Satan falls and a third of the angels come with him. In verse 9, he's clearly identified as Satan, yeah. the serpent from the garden, all those things. So this is Satan, and Satan is trying to devour the child of the woman. And I think um, there's a lot we could say about this, right? Obviously, this child is somebody, but just that depiction... Satan hates what is innocent and good. He mm-hmm. hates children. He hates babies, as weird as it may sound to say, but he does. He he wants to destroy life. Yeah. And so as Christians, we should be people. We must be people that defend life. Yeah. So obviously this is a figurative, but it also is literally true that Satan wants to destroy that which is good and innocent in the world. 
So this child, the third figure here, the child is clearly Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So verse five, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So again, we, this may seem strange because, well, where's the death of Jesus? It's speaking in very compact terms, symbolically, of these realities. It's not saying that Jesus came out of the church, right? right. We, we know he redeemed his people, but it's speaking to these realities and to the fact that God protects him, allows him to accomplish his purpose and to rule over the nations. And then the woman fled into the wilderness for 1260 days. Hmm. So that number comes up again. So that again, that's the time the church has to testify about God. So God protects his, his chosen one, his Messiah, and he provides for his people yeah. in that time of, of uh, trials and, and challenges. And then we see a war between Satan and Michael's angels in the following section. And I, I want to just look at verse 10 where he says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Hmm. So just a great, again, a great depiction of God's, the victory God gives to his people, mm-hmm. that we will have victory because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, that Christ has paid the price. There's no accusation for Satan to make that can stand in God's courtroom right. and that we can testify about this, this gospel. Mm-hmm. So, But I want to get into the interesting stuff. <laughs> chapter 13, who is the beast? Great question. The beast. So we see at the end of chapter 12 that Satan, the dragon, is standing on the sea. Mm-hmm. So remember that. We'll look at that later. And then we see a beast coming out of the sea. So the sea is a place of evil and chaos. We've seen this throughout the Bible. Yep. And he rises up with ten horns and seven heads. So, and then we hear this description of he's got, you know, a leopard's appearance and bare feet and like literally of a bear and a lion's mouth. So what is all this about? Clearly heavy symbolism here. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the beast is the figure that we would call the Antichrist. Right. So in First John 2, we saw that, that many Antichrists have come and we said that's not referring to you know, this figure mm-hmm. having already come. Right. But he says there's one coming and then many have already come. Right. So we're looking forward to that that one Antichrist. He's the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians 2, mm-hmm. verse 3. It's like the boss fight, you know. Yeah, the boss fight right. <laughs> in, the, in the video game. So the man of lawlessness who has to come, right? So this, this um, person who, you know, rules and leads a, a great empire mm-hmm. at the end of the age and who brings you know, who who tries to destroy God's people. Yeah. That's the picture here. So, um, so yeah, so you can refer to him as the Antichrist if that is helpful. It's obviously very common in our culture. The symbolism here, uh, though, is a combination of all the beasts in the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. So in Daniel 7, if you remember, we saw these four beasts come along, and one of the beasts, the last beast, had four heads. So three beasts with one head, one beast with four heads, Math is seven heads. So seven heads, and then each beast, leopard, bear, lion, these are, these are all combined in the image of this beast. Mm-hmm. Now, those beasts back then were a depiction of these governments that rose up, right? And we saw how they corresponded right. with different empires. 
this beast is a combination of all of them. Right. So he seems to be the culmination of human power, a, a mixture or a coming together of all the evil kingdoms of the world. Right. That's the picture. So right. this is this is something that you know is is terrifying and threatens God's people. And then in verse three, he says, "One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole beast marvelled. The whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast." So who is this referring to? So the beast is killed or is you know wounded in the head so it's it's dead or it seems to be dead and then it's resurrected so there are certainly a lot of people point to echoes of emperor nero here mm-hmm. so nero when he when he died he killed himself by stabbing himself in the neck mm-hmm. that's according to you know the the history that we have and there was this belief that nero was going to return to be emperor so that he wasn't really dead or that he was resurrected and that he was going to come back and take his throne. In fact, there are even two people that claim to be Nero who came into the Roman Empire who tried to yeah. take the throne. So this is a very common belief, is well known. And so here, this, this seems to be referring to something similar, except in this case, the one who receives the mortal wound actually lives. So that's clearly the case. Right. right? Nero did not come back. But this is a person who's in the spirit of Nero, right? A person very close to that time frame that they understood was an enemy to God's people who really gave kind of a small-scale persecution, but it was intense, it was real. And so this is kind of the same type of person. Um, And so he actually is resurrected or lives after this mortal wound. And um, yeah, so this is is essentially a fake resurrection. Mm -hmm. That's the idea here, that the Satan puts in place his fake Messiah Mm -hmm. who dies and is resurrected in some sense, whether this is a just a magic trick or I don't know, or Satan's power, but he's imitating Christ and he's an imposter posing as Christ. And so the people of the earth worship him mm-hmm. and, and except for those that God has written in the book of life in verse eight. So verses nine and 10 are, are very important in terms of what do we do with this, this, you know, knowledge of this future event. Well, it says in, in verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword, sword must he be slain. This is a call. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be imprisoned, you're going to be imprisoned. If you're going to die, you're going to die. Right. That, that's what has to happen. So don't try to resist it. Don't compromise. Right. Don't take the easy way out and follow and worship the beast. No, you have to die. Right. You have to be in prison. That's what God wills. And so go through that. Right. So be willing to go through that rather than lose something eternal and precious. Right. Yeah. 100%. So endure that, that word again, right? Endure, persevere, overcome, have faith in God. So the first beast, we'll look a little bit more at him when we get to number 666, who this could refer to. Um, but the second beast is, um, is the, the false prophet. So this, I believe, points to false religion. So he essentially sets up a worship of the beast, mm-hmm. and he has this image of the beast that he can make speak. So he's mm-hmm. doing kind of like magic tricks. And he is the one who institutes the mark of the beast. So verse 16 says, It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So this is, you have to identify yourself by the beast in order to shop, in order yeah, to partake purchase in commerce, yeah. Yeah. To, to have a job, to, to purchase things, all of that. 
And so he's, again, imitating God. God is the one who we saw previously puts his mark on the, his seal on the forehead of his people. Mm-hmm. So God claims them for his own. He marks them. And here it's the same idea right. that these are identified with and marked by the beast. And then, of course, we get to the question of the number. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. And his number is 666. Okay, so what what does this refer to? Great question. Well, there are many who would take this kind of in a, as a sort of mathematical challenge. So it's a puzzle to be solved. What does the number kind of add up to? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? There's a there's a practice called gematria in, you know, that's well known that is taking different letters and corresponding them to numbers and adding them up and that number means something. Right. I, I, I know people that do this today. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a practice in your life to be looking for hidden codes. But here I, I can understand it because it's saying that you have to calculate the number of the beast, right? Mm-hmm. So what people have done is they've taken the phrase Nero Caesar and then in Hebrew, and that adds up to 666. Mm-hmm. So that is very interesting. But it requires you to transfer those words to Hebrew first and then do the math, which is I think anyone would have to admit it's a little bit strange, mm-hmm. given that there's no indication here that that's this is about the Hebrew, right? So and it it also works for the word beast. Mm-hmm. Beast also adds up to six six six. It also works for many other names in history, right? People have done this with a lot of names, and they found a way to calculate that name as adding up to six six six. So it's mm-hmm. easy. Uh, it, well, I shouldn't say it's easy, but there are a lot of ways that you could get to that final final conclusion. So that doesn't mean it's not true. I'd, I'd say most commentators probably would hold to some connection with Nero. Mm-hmm. Most would take that as a symbolic thing of, the, again, the spirit of Nero. Yeah, and, it falls right, over the ages. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think, I think the idea here is it's symbolic. So as we've seen, you know, the last couple of weeks, we've seen that seven is a number of completeness. Mm-hmm. It's true throughout scripture with the first creation week, right? being completed. And then it's, it's true in the book of Revelation, which again and again, the sevenfold spirit of God, there's three sets of sevens in the book, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, each unfolding into the other. And those three sevens refer to the completeness of God's judgment and salvation. Six repeated three times is in contrast to those sevens. Mm-hmm. So six by, is, is short of seven, and it refers very often to imperfection or to humanity. Right. So humans were created on the sixth day, obviously, and this is a, a common number used to refer to humanity. So, and the threefold repetition is significant as well. It's the emphatic, right, uh, you know, statement of this number uh, in, in its completeness, right? Just like holy, 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 six, six, six. It's kind of kind of could be the idea. So, and even that just in the seals and the trumpets and the bulls, the sixth of each of those refers to judgment on the beast and his followers, hmm. those who rebel against God. So I, I, there's a very strong case to be made that this is just referring to humanity and its sinfulness and imperfection. In fact, he even says it is the number of a man. Mm-hmm. And the one way you could translate that phrase is not it's a number of a specific person, but it's a human number. It's a number of mankind. 
So it's a it's the human number. That's the yeah. idea. And and I think there's a good way to there's a good reason to to interpret it this way because he mentions wisdom. Right? Mm-hmm. He says this calls for wisdom. It doesn't necessarily call for wisdom to punch numbers, mm-hmm. right? To just plug it in. And again, many different conclusions have been reached by that. It does, I think, call for wisdom to see the the reality here that the the beast and his false prophet are exalting humanity and, and exalting a human way of thinking and exalting imperfection over the perfect, righteous, right. holy, and powerful God. And so I think that's kind of what is in view here is the the worship of man, the the fullness of what man can do, and it's just sin and destruction. Yeah. And so and the follower of Jesus has to intentionally move away from that, right? Uh, we should probably get into some more stuff because we've got a lot to cover. Yeah, not much time here, but chapter 14, verse 1, the lamb is standing, and he's standing on Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. At the end of chapter 12, Satan is standing on the sand of the sea, mm-hmm. and Christ is standing on the mountain on the rock. And so we see that different. The foundation for Satan is insecure. He will be swept away, and Christ is secure. Mm-hmm. He's standing strong. And his in his name... It says in verse one, his name is written on his 144,000 on their foreheads. So again, we see mm-hmm. the perversion of what the beast brings. Christ is the one who marks us, who seals us, who securely um, holds us until the end. Mm. And so we see the saints rejoicing in heaven. We see some warnings given by these angels flying overhead. And then this call, verse verse 12, which could really be the the-, the theme of the entire book, 14, 12, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Hmm. So endure, persevere. Yeah. And then we see the, the earth harvested, right? The judgment is coming soon. And then in 15 and 16, the seven bowls are poured out. And so um, again, kind of the similar themes to the trumpets, we see these intensifying mm-hmm. and a, a different kind of picture, different angle on this. In chapter six, 16, we see the battle of Armageddon. So we see Armageddon in verse 16. That's where that's introduced. And then the seventh bowl is poured out. And um, this again kind of echoes the very end of the book of Revelation. So we see in chapter 16, verse 17, the seventh angel and a voice from the temple saying, it is done. Mm. So God's going to win this battle. He's bringing in his final judgment with the outpouring of these bowls. And um, we see... Again, similar pictures we saw in in chapter six, islands and mountains being taken away, thunder and lightning, severe hail, all of these ideas being brought again and again and again. Hmm. So this is a call to endure, right? All of these things are coming, this final judgment, this final time of persecution. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that's very clear is that this time that's depicted in Revelation is not a fun time. Right. For a lot of people, right? It's not it's not fun for God's people. They have to endure through it. Right. So I don't I don't hold to the view that God's people are taken out of this time of suffering. Right. I don't think that that's clearly laid out in Scripture. Instead, the emphasis throughout the book is enduring through this time. Right. God's people enduring and not taking the mark of the beast and enduring some starvation or persecution or whatever because we know. God's judgment is coming. He will avenge his people and he will rescue us and bring yeah. us safely home. Yeah. Amen to that. What a thing to look forward to. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week for the last book of Revelation.